Welcome to Always Abounding. This podcast will encourage you as a believer to continue on and always abound in the work of the Lord. Now your host, Keith Stensis. Welcome once again to our podcast, Always Abounding. This is your host, Brother Keith Stensis. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day in the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That has been my life verse for as long as I can remember, and I've always tried to encourage myself each and every day to always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that my labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's what this podcast is all about, uh, encouraging you and your family to always abound in the work of the Lord, and as well, uh, giving an update on what's happening here in Uganda. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your prayers. I sure appreciate so much much. Uh, really, really thank you for praying for my wife. And uh, as you know, uh, recently she had to uh, go back to the United States for uh, eye surgery. And uh, she's gone through two surgeries now. One, uh, it's kind of the same surgery, but you know, part A, part B type of thing. And uh, so she went through that and uh, the doctor told her uh, when they finished the second surgery that whenever you get a uh, retinal repair in your eye, uh, then more than likely you're going to have to uh, have cataract surgery. And uh, so she, that was kind of in the back of her mind. And so we came back to Uganda and uh, she had a checkup. We were trying to get her glasses. The doctor in the United States said that uh, uh, she would be able to get a new a uh, pair of glasses after a month after the surgery, so the eye has had a chance to settle. And uh, But when she went to get uh, her eye exam, she found out that, uh, in fact, the cataract has started already. And so uh, you you have the, uh, the repair of the retina. I believe it's in the back of the eye, and it's kind of, you know, pulling a little bit on the eye, keeping it together. And then uh, with the cataract coming in as well, it has also also a pulling effect on the eye and so it's kind of distorting it and so my wife found out she won't be able to get glasses uh, until she has uh, cataract surgery and uh, so the doctor told her you know it's better to wait right now until see how fast it's going and so she has to wait for a couple of months uh, to uh, for a next checkup and to see how far the cataract has uh, gone in her eye and hopefully if she can have the cataract surgery uh, then uh, it will take care of the problem with the eye there and she'll be able to get glasses so she can see out of one eye uh, the left eye is very blurry and so because of that she's not able to drive uh, a lot of uh, she can drive locally you know, as far as between our house and the church and things but uh, not anything long distance and uh, so pray for her uh, also pray for her as well. She found out on the very same day that she's going to have cataract surgery, she found out uh, that she's also going to have to have knee surgery. And uh, somehow uh, she she has never fallen. She has never been involved in sports or strenuous activity, but somehow uh, she tore her uh, lateral meniscus, as I think it's what it's called, uh, in her knee. And uh, so she's going to have to have knee surgery as well. And so just pray for her. She's in good spirits. And uh, uh, I appreciate my wife so much. And uh, she is such a blessing to me in, a, in, the, in our ministry here. And uh, so if you could just pray for her, pray that we get uh, all of these things taken care of. And uh, 
you know, my pastor made a comment the other day uh, that I thought was interesting. He says, you know, you're getting old when you wake up and you've hurt yourself while you're sleeping. <laughs> and uh, and that, that is, that seems to be more true. You know, you, you go to bed fine and you wake up and you get another ache and a pain. And, and uh, but anyway, I tell you, it is... <laughs> Uh, I tell you, getting old is no fun, amen. But uh, hey, why we're why we're still have some energy and why we still have some get up and go, uh, we're going to do our best to do that. But uh, anyway, just pray for her if you would. I would appreciate that very very much. Ministry uh, is going well. We just got back from uh, Kalido, which is uh, up north. Uh, as you know, we've got a ministry up in the northeastern part of Uganda, and up there we have uh, about thirty five men who believe God has called them to pastor, and they're actually leading. Uh, groups of people. They're, they're leading uh, uh, people that uh, want to organize themselves into a church. And uh, so we've been going up there uh, about every three months uh, for the last couple of years and teaching uh, a TBI, which is a Triannual Bible Institute. And, uh, and we've had about 35 of those men and then plus several men uh, come from their churches as well. So typically we'll have about 60 to 70 men uh, that we're teaching up there. But I wanted to uh, do something to really get uh, in, in as far as specifically dealing with these men uh, who want to be pastors more on a personal level. And so what we did was uh, we divided those 35 men into two groups, and uh, we just called them the Eastern Zone, the Western Zone uh, because of their geographical location. And so this last week we met with the Eastern zone, uh, which was 18 pastors and, uh, men that uh, believe God's called them to be a pastor. And so we're just, uh, getting down into basics and, uh, we're finding out, uh, that uh, many of these men, uh, were put into that position without being, uh, shall I say, vetted uh, without checking their uh, pastoral qualifications. And uh, of those 18 men, we found eight were not even married properly. And uh, we found most of the men, uh, probably except for one uh, of those men, most of those men uh, really were very ignorant when it comes just to the basic doctrines of the Word of God, talking about salvation and talking. As a matter of fact, one of the men that came got saved because even though he's leading a church and calls himself a pastor, he, he didn't even know what it meant to be born again. He didn't know what it meant to be saved. And so he got saved, so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, his name is James, and so if you could pray for James, I'd appreciate that. But anyway, but even the rest of the men. And so what, what happened, if you remember, if I've told you about this before, uh, God brought me into contact with a man by the name of Pastor Cassandra Frederick. And uh, Pastor Cassandra Frederick uh, came out of a university that uh, was very zealous and, uh, you know, start churches and start churches and start churches and started over 50 churches up there. And basically the idea was you go soul winning in an area, you get a group of people together and uh, you find maybe the one who has a Bible or maybe the one who knows a little bit more than everybody else. And okay, you're the pastor. And that's basically the way it, what, way it was. And uh, Pastor Kasaja knows now that he did wrong in doing that uh, because now we're trying to deal with something that is, uh, it's just really gotten out of control. And uh, so I had to do something that uh, most missionaries probably have never done. I don't know if any other missionary has done this. Maybe they have. Uh, but I took all 18 of those men and I said, men, listen, I said, I love you, and, uh, but I'm going to be very honest with you. 
none of you here qualify to be a pastor. Some of you are not even married properly. You need to work on getting married. I said, the rest of you, you don't know the word of God. You're, you're a novice. You're, you're, you're not skillful in the word of God. You're a babe in Christ. You do not qualify to be a pastor. And so I just simply told him, I said, listen, I love you. I, I'm not doubting your call. I'm not doubting what uh, the desire of your heart to do something for the Lord. Uh, but uh, I cannot continue to teach you as pastors when you do not qualify to be pastors. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to have a renunciation of your title of pastor, and you're going to do it publicly. I said, if you want me to continue to help you, if you want me to continue to teach you and mentor you and get you to a point where you can be a pastor, uh, then you at this point need to renounce uh, those that had been ordained. Can you believe some had been ordained? Even some that were not even married. They're living together in fornication. Uh, uh, we had pastors come from the United States of America and ordain them. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind. Uh, but, uh, and, and that's why, you know, I, I, I like it when people come over to the mission field. They bring missions trips. I, I, I thank God for that. But sometimes, uh, guys come over and they do more harm than good because they want to come over and they want to go back to their churches and they want to say, look at how many we ordained, look at how many people got saved. And many times we're left to deal with the fallout of all of it. And uh, so these men have been ordained by American pastors who came over to Uganda and ordained them. Four of them were not even married properly, and the rest of them couldn't even give a good explanation of what eternal security is. And, uh, and so it just, it just blows my mind. But anyway, uh, so we had a kind of a ceremony, uh, quote unquote, uh, there. And, uh, and I asked each one of them, I said, listen, I love you. I want to help you. We're, my goal is to help you to become a pastor. But at this point, you cannot use that name. You cannot be called a pastor. And I says, your churches cannot be called churches. They're not ready to be churches. I said, they're just Bible studies. We're, 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 we're going to help them. We're going to help train them. Uh, but we need to go back and we need to start with uh, point number one. We need to get back to letter A. And, uh, and so I had each of them stand up, and I said, hey, listen, uh, are you willing to uh, renounce your ordination? Are you willing to, uh, to stop being called a pastor so that you can be trained to, uh, for that end? And uh, praise the Lord, every one of them had good attitudes. I did not have one person who had a, had a bad attitude about it or, or question any way. Every one of them was willing uh, to step down from that title of pastor. Every one of them was willing to, uh, to uh, give up their ordination uh, until such time that we can uh, teach them and train them and, and mentor them and get them to the point where they can be properly ordained as men of God who are properly married and who have a good knowledge of the Word of God. So I did not go up there planning on doing that, but uh, as I said before, most of the time we've gone up there, we've been working with uh, TBIs, and that's been very general, general teaching, uh, but this time really getting into the specifics of these men, uh, I begin to find out there's some serious problems here, and uh, and we need to just we need to start over, and uh, and so pray for me about that. Um, that was something I did not like doing, but it was something that I felt was necessary to do in order to help these men uh, get on the right track. And so pray uh, for us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be going up, and I'm going to be doing the Western Zone, and uh, basically uh, we'll probably be doing exactly the same thing we did to the Eastern Zone. 
And so bringing these guys back down to the basics, back down to the, the, the milk of the word, making sure they're solid in the word of God. And, uh, and then hopefully as we rebuild these guys and as they learn the word of God, as they get their marriages right, uh, then we'll be able to see these men ordained to the ministry and uh, be able to uh, serve the Lord. And so pray with me about that. I would appreciate that very, very, very much. But uh, anyway, having a great time. I'm loving serving the Lord here, and I'm so excited. Well, real quickly, uh, in the rest of our po- uh, podcast, I want you to go to the book of James, and we're going to finish up chapter number one, uh, James chapter one. And uh, remember, James is one of those books that is a very practical book, practical Christian living, uh, real Christianity. It's not so much considered a doctrinal book per se, uh, but it is a book that teaches practical Christianity. And I believe uh, that uh, understanding this practical Christianity will help us uh, to always abound in the work of the Lord. Let's look at the last two verses of James chapter 1, the last two verses there. Uh, The Bible says in verse number 26, if any man among you seem to be religious, I circled the word seem there, seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, this is, um, first of all, we need to look at this word religion. Uh, in our world today, we typically uh, think that religion is synonymous with denomination. And so we would say, what religion are you? Uh, but you understand when James was written, there were no denominations. And, uh, and yet the word religion is there. Because the, the very basic meaning of the word religion is a moral set of values. Uh, that's what a religion, uh, that's what a religious person is, someone who not necessarily what, that they're saved or not, but they live a moral set of values. And uh, so we would say they're very religious. Um, and so religion just simply means, uh, when we see it here in the Word of God, a pure set of values. He's not talking about whose religion is the best and whose denomination is the best. Uh, it is a moral set of values. And so he says, if any man among you seem to be religious, in other words, you seem to be moral, you seem to be of moral character, and uh, bridle not your tongue, but deceive your own heart, this man's religion is vain. This man's moral values is vain. Now, again, we're not going to talk much about this because we're going to get to James chapter 3, where he talks much about the tongue, but let's just suffice it to say that he says, listen, if you say you're a moral person and you say that you're someone who is of moral character or you have moral values, but you cannot control your tongue, then you have deceived yourself into thinking you're moral and your moral values are vain. God puts a lot of, of, of stock in being able to control the tongue. Let's just read one verse over in chapter 3 real quickly because this verse is, is amazing. He says uh, in verse number 2, he says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now, so he says, if, if someone is able to not offend in your words, then that is a man who is a mature man. 
Uh, That is the stock of maturity. That is the definition of maturity when someone is able to control their tongue. And by being able to control your tongue, you are able to control the rest of your body. And so that's why he puts such stock in in controlling the tongue because that is the key. If you can get the tongue under control, then you can get the rest of your flesh under control. Uh, I believe the tongue is one of the hardest things to get under control. I mean, you, you can... Uh, you can stop smoking, you can stop drinking, you can stop looking at bad things. Uh, and, and all of those things that we talk about of moral values and moral characters, we can, we can stop doing all of those things. But everywhere you go, you carry around that little member called the tongue. And, uh, and that little member called the tongue wants to creep up and, and talk and say things that it shouldn't say and, and be offensive in ways it shouldn't be. And, uh, and so constantly the tongue is with you everywhere you go. And so that is why he said, listen, if you can control your tongue, that's the mark of a mature person. And that is the mark of someone who will be able to control every other area of his flesh. All right. So back to chapter number one, he says, if any man among you seem to be religious, you seem to be a moral character, but you don't bridle your tongue. You don't keep your tongue under control. You're deceiving yourself. You are thinking you're moral. You're thinking you're righteous. You're thinking you are of high moral standard. But he says, in fact, your moral values are vain because if you can't control the tongue, you will not be able to control anything else. And I believe every single one of us, if we're going to abound in the work of the Lord, we have got to make sure everything that comes out of our mouth uh, is edifying, it's lifting up, it's encouraging, uh, it is truthful, uh, and, 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 and sometimes, sometimes things are necessary to be said that heard. Uh, Paul said, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so I'm not saying that we cannot say things that don't hurt people because sometimes people need to be hurt. Sometimes people need to be convicted. Uh, but that is, that is the proper way of doing it through uh, the telling of truth. But when we say things that offend people, when we say things that, de- that uh, degrade people and put them down, uh, then, then we're using our tongue in a way that God says does not glorify me. We should be doing things that edify and build up. Now, verse number 27. This is, a, this is one of those verses that uh, there's a lot of debate on and, uh, and many times people disagree on, but uh, we're going to look at this and, and see what the verse says. Pure religion, pure moral values, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. All right, so if you're going to call yourself a moral person, and that's the key here, all right, uh, if you're going to call yourself a moral person, he's talking to believers. Remember, James is talking to the believers, and he's saying, if you're going to consider yourself to be a moral person, um, this is a couple of the qualifications you can look at to see if you are truly pure and moral, all right? So let's look at this. Pure religion and defiled before uh, God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and, the fl- and, and widows in their affliction. Now, it's very interesting um, I looked up in the Bible the word fatherless, and uh, fatherless appears 43 times in the Bible, 43 times in the Bible, and uh, 34 of those 43 times, uh, he includes the widow. So this was a very typical 
explanation of people who are down and out, a widow and a, and a fatherless person. They're, they're synonymous. They go together. 34 of the 43 times that you see fatherless mentioned, widows are put in there with them. And, uh, and you understand that uh, in this time period that James is writing this, there is no government help. There is no Social Security. There's no insurance. There's nothing of this type of nature. And so when you became a widow, uh, when you became fatherless, then you were destitute. I mean, who's going to take care of you? Who is going to watch over you? Who's going to take up? And that's why uh, in, 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 in the law, he made provision that a widow, uh, when, when he dies, the brother is to take up the, 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 the woman uh, and, and to carry on the name if, if, that, if that brother is able to do that. Uh, provision was made over and over. Don't forsake the fatherless. Defend. Psalms 82 verse 3 says, defend uh, the fatherless. But uh, what, what is he talking about here when he's talking to us? He's the, I mean, this scripture is written to us, and he's telling us that uh, the highest of moral values and, and the, the, the pure moral values is to make sure you visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. This is the only time the term fathers and widows appears in the New Testament. Now, there's a couple words that I think we need to understand here uh, to help us to understand what we're supposed to do. Because the idea, and this is where people differ, all right, uh, how long are we supposed to take care of them? Uh, if, if someone is a fatherless person, uh, I mean, obviously he's going to be fatherless the rest of his life. And so is there an age that you're supposed to take care of them? Is there an age where you're not, uh, where you're supposed to stop taking care of them? Uh, what about the widows? Uh, how, what are the requirements there as far as taking care of widows? Um, notice what he says here. He says to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now, visit is a temporary thing. Okay. Uh, when I go to someone's house to visit, I'm not going there to live. I'm not going there perpetually. Um, I am going there to visit. I'm going to be there a short time and I'm going to leave. So I think the idea here is he's not telling everyone to go out and start an orphanage. And uh, I, I am not against orphanages. I, I praise God for those who are called to do that and those who are able to take care of orphans on a uh, perpetual level as far as getting them all the way through school and getting them out uh, as far as getting their job. I thank God for those people uh, that are able to do that. And uh, praise the Lord, I, one of the most famous men of God that we know in our uh, biblical history is George Mueller, uh, took care of hundreds and thousands of orphans. But is that something that all of us are supposed to do? Um, so I think the key here to understand is, he says, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Now, let's start with the fatherless. Um, are we to take care if we see a, a fatherless person, uh, someone that is an orphan that has lost their father, he's not able to take care of himself? Um, are we to uh, start an orphanage? Are we to take care of him financially? Are we? Well, first of all, I think the principle that we find in Scripture, and we find this more specifically with the widows, but I think the Bible uh, has it uh, very carefully laid out. L look back in Timothy, and we're going to look here uh, later on when we talk about the widows, but there's a portion of Scripture that I want you to see here. And I understand that the context here is talking about widows, but when he makes this statement, he doesn't just say widows, he says the house. Notice the Bible says in First uh, Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, he says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, 
He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So I believe the principle here is that the first area of care for an orphan and a widow is the family. The family needs to take care of them. And uh, so if the father has died, maybe the brother and Ugandans here are very good about that, bringing in uh, a brother that has died, bringing their children into their family and uh, and taking care of them. Uh, I think the first set of uh, of care needs to happen with a family. And, uh, and so if, uh, if a for example, if my I, I I've talked to my brother, and now my children are a lot older now, but in our will, uh, my brother, my younger brother, uh, is he he said that he would be willing to take care of my children if I died because I believe the family is that first uh, level of protection there, uh, and we need to care for our own. The Bible says if you don't care for your own, you're worse than an infidel. And uh, so I don't believe he's saying everyone needs to go start an orphanage. I don't believe he's saying that everyone needs to go out and take care of every orphan that is on the street. Uh, But there's a principle here that he's trying to teach us, and that is to get our eyes off of ourselves and look upon the needs of others. And when we see an orphan, when we see someone who is fatherless, we need to visit them in their affliction. What can I do to help them get through this? All right, Maybe I can help them uh, a little bit with their education. Maybe I can help them with clothes. Or maybe someone can say, hey, I've got an extra room. I'll let them stay in that room. Doing something to visit them in their affliction. And uh, once again, I don't think he's telling us here that it has to be perpetual. That's why he uses the word visit. Um, but uh, but and, and if somebody wants to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we're, we're trying to, 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 to get a good sense of what the Scripture is talking about here. Now, he says not only the fatherless, but the widows. Now, uh, again, we go back to this idea, uh, if a man does not know how to care for his own, he's worse than infield. God expects family to take care of family. And, and so I think we need to step in when family is not able to step in and help out. The, the first uh, step, the level of protection is the family. And then if there is the inability of family to take care of that person, then we can say, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I help this person? How can I be a blessing to this person? But with the widows, there's qualifications. And uh, I, there's no qualifications necessarily on the fatherless, but there are qualifications as far as taking care of the widows, as far as the church taking care of the widows. Remember, he's talking to God's people here. And uh, and you go back, and again, I'm not going to read all of First Timothy chapter 5, uh, but you know that the widow, uh, in order to be taken care of perpetually, has to, has to have a history of good works, uh, has to have brought up children, uh, has to have been a servant of God, has to be at least 60 years old. Um, There's several different qualifications here. And so again, just because a woman becomes a widow does not mean that someone is obligated just to take care of them perpetually. They are to be visited in their affliction. And uh, and so you and I have a responsibility when someone is in a hard time, and I I can't imagine a harder time uh, than to be a widow and to be fatherless. Um, And you and I need to be 
having our eyes and our hearts open and saying, hey, when God brings somebody in my path, all right, if, if a woman's husband dies, all right, yes, I, I know I'm not supposed to perpetually take care of her, but how can I visit her in her affliction? Uh, when a person has lost their parents or a person has lost their, uh, their father, how can I visit them in their affliction? What can I do to be a help and a blessing to them? And so I think the key here is it's not telling us that pure religion is you have to start an orphanage or you have to take, you have to bring orphans into your home. You have to go. No, it is getting your eyes off of yourself and off of your problems and off of your difficulties and looking on the needs of others. And that's what I believe that he's talking about. Pure moral values is not a life that is consumed with self, but it is a life that is consumed with the needs of others. And he uses probably the greatest needs of others that you can imagine, and that is of the fatherless and the widows. And uh, so I believe that is the good sense of that verse there. And I know many NGOs and and, and many social programs and social organizations use this and uh, say, you know, we're, we're pure and, and we're undefiled because this is what we do. And I'm glad that they do it. Um, but that is this is not something is for everyone. We need to have a heart that is willing to visit these particular types of people in their affliction and uh, care for them as the Lord uh, gives us the sense or as the Lord gives us the wisdom to care for them. Uh, Then notice he says in the last part, and so many times we forget about this last part uh, because we're so consumed with fatherless and widows uh, that we forget a very important part. He says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world, unspotted from the world. We are to keep ourselves pure. Uh, We live in a wicked world. We live in a world full of sin. We live in a world full of suffering. And you and I need to be walking in this world circumspectly, making sure that everything we do, we're living for God, we're living for the Word of God, we're living for others, and living a pure life. And, And again, there is no way that we can always abound in the work of the Lord when we're looking like the world. And so we need to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. I'll never forget this illustration. I'm sure I've told it to you before, but I was in the village one time walking with one of our men uh, named John. It was rainy season. The uh, path was very muddy, and uh, and John had on a pair of slacks that were very light in color, and uh, and I I had on a you know, I can't remember what I was wearing. I just remember his were light in color because when we got to the end of the path, I looked at his trousers and I looked at my trousers and I thought to myself, how in the world did he keep himself so clean? And I looked down at mine and my, I'm, I'm filthy. I mean, my, my trousers are dirty, they're muddy. And I looked at John and I said, John, how did you keep your trousers so clean walking through the same mud that I walked through? And this is what he told me. He says, pastor, I walk carefully. I walk carefully. I watch where I walk. Now, for me, I was just walking. I didn't care what I stepped in. I just, I was just walking. But he walked circumspectly. He made sure that as he walked down that path, he walked in such a way that kept himself from being spotted by the mud. And you and I, as believers, if we're going to have pure religion, if we're going to be undefiled before God and the Father, we need to make sure we're keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, making sure we're living holy, 
pure, sanctified lives before the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can present ourselves as pure before God. And there's so much that could be said about that, uh, but for sake of time, uh, we're already nearing the end of our podcast. I've gone over just a little bit of time today, uh, but uh, we're not going to dig into that anymore. Uh, Lord willing, in our next podcast, we will look into chapter number two and uh, see what the Bible says about respect of persons. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today, and I appreciate you uh, allowing me to take part of your day, part of your week, and I hope that we can be helping a blessing to you. Please uh, uh, send us a comment, uh, leave a comment there on the podcast page, uh, or email me, send me a message. Uh, my website is kstensisfamily.com, kstensisfamily.com. You can contact me through that. And if you have any questions or comments, sure love to hear from you. I'd sure love to hear uh, who's listening and uh, want to thank you so much. Our listenership is growing and uh, I appreciate uh, the support. I appreciate the help and the encouragement from so many people out there. Uh, God bless you so much for that. So don't forget, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever platform that you use, uh, let me encourage you to subscribe to our podcast always abounding every Friday. Uh, we come out with a new podcast and we upload that for your enjoyment and encouragement. God bless you so much. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. We will see you next week. God bless you so much. We want to thank you for listening today. We trust that this podcast was an encouragement to you to always abound in the work of the Lord. For more information about your host or simply contact us, visit kstensisfamily.com.